Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who is charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we began our look at the cross-examination of Dr. Charles Hassan, a psychologist who observed and performed tests on Michael Barrison within three months of the shooting. On today's installment, we continue our exploration of Christopher Shellhorn's questioning of Dr. Hassan. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's late afternoon on April 6, 2022, and Prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn continues his questioning of Dr. Charles Hassan. As we ended our last episode, Prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn offered the witness a document about which he wanted to ask Hassan questions, which prompted the objection that he was not familiar with the document. In response, Judge Stephen Taylor called for a brief conference with the lawyers. After the sidebar, Judge Taylor allowed the prosecutor to show the witness the document and resume his questioning. Dr. Hassan, I'm going to direct your attention here to uh, page 54. You would agree with me that this block in the middle talks about scale 6 paranoia? Let me read it. Here's the problem you have with us. You don't have your T-scores here. And doctor, you'll have a chance. Okay. But you'd agree with me that this does say... With respect to scale six, paranoia, the existence of delusions and paranoid thought process are rarely identified within this score. I agree that it says that there, but I also agree the fact that it doesn't have the score of 90 in there. And that's a very different uh, horse of a, another color. You indicated you're, you're familiar with James Butcher? Yes. Now, people who score uh, high on scale six are also generally described as being suspicious, overly sensitive, argumentative, prone to blame others? Yes. People with high scores on scale six also often express their hostility overtly and rationalize it as a result of what others have done. It's pot. Yes, yes. And you indicated this defendant, Michael Barrison, scored high on scale six. Exceedingly high. I indicated that a T-score of 90. I've never seen in my career an individual score that high on scale six with Validity scales are within normal limits. And the, the reference you're giving doesn't give very high score, doesn't give any scores. It just gives a general discussion. You agree with me that James Butcher and others wrote in that report that an individual who scores high on the scale for paranoia rarely endorses the existence of delusions. Uh, and it's incredibly misleading. You would agree with me that on the references... Uh, I'll, I'll ask the questions respectfully. Just answer the questions, please. So you agree that you just read that in that book? Yes, I read that. Now, you indicated that some of the tests that you administered, the defendant showed difficulty with his concentration. 
on some of the tests, yes. On the NMPI-2, which is S434 for identification, and we're going to pull that up for you now, doctor. Did Michael Barrasone endorse a number of persecutory ideas? Yes. And you'd expect that of a criminal defendant who's on trial? Not necessarily. I would expect that of someone who has a delusional disorder to get a score of 90 on scale 6 and a score of 105 on scale PA1, and also to get a score of 88 on the Caldwell Index. Well, if he indicates in, in respect to question 99, someone has it in for me and says it's true. Yes. You would expect that for someone who's been charged with a crime. Uh, I, no, I, I just think you're... I, I just don't agree with you. Now, with respect to the MCMI-4, Yes. I don't know if you uh, specifically mentioned that on direct examination. Well, I administered it. However, I tried to check out the cut scores by looking up Rogers, and I didn't use it, even though the test came out in the same direction as the other tests, because the um, validity scales were weak on that. Why did you use the MCMI-4? It's a legitimate test. I wanted to look at personality disorder in him. However... I wanted to look at the current cut scores, so I looked up Rogers, and he didn't have any information on that, and then uh, I decided not to use it, given the fact that I wasn't sure if it was valid, the conclusions. Doctor, you mentioned the PAI test on your direct examination. Do you recall that? Yes. And specifically with the PAI, I think you testified that you did validity testing with respect to that test. There's validity testing on there. Judge, this has been marked as S436. What? Doctor, directing your attention to page two, the very top of the every page on this document, does it indicate warning validity scales indicate hypotheses may not be valid? Certainly does. And this test itself actually indicated that there was the possibility of deliberate distortion. I also indicated in my report that I used Richard Rogers cut scores NIM and MAL. They're different from the scores on this test. The cut scores for Rogers, the NIM, negative um, impression management, has to be above 110, and the MAL, which is like an index score of a group of different scores, has to be above 5. The MAL that was calculated was 3, and the uh, NIM that was calculated was 92. So, uh, as I just said, I went with Rogers with regards to this, and I looked for Rogers with regard to the MCMI, and I didn't see anything, so I didn't score the MCMI, but that's why there's a discrepancy. So with respect to the PAI, uh, it does indicate that there's some, the possibility of some deliberate distortion. With respect to the one of the key experts in the United States, I don't know anyone who's uh, more renowned than Richard Rogers. He's written multiple uh, articles and books on malingering and deception. The scores that are being shown here are not invalid. Did you indicate that in your report? Yes. You wrote in your report that the PAI indicated, quote, the possibility of malingering. You no, wrote that in your report? I indicated in my report that I used the cut scores from Richard Rogers for NIM and MAL. I indicated that. I didn't use the scores that were shown here. Well, specifically, and I'll direct your attention to page 10 of the PAI that you administered and you scored. Does it indicate in the first full paragraph on page 10, the critical items should be reviewed to evaluate the possibility of malingering? Where is this now? On, on my report? PAI, page 10. It's been marked for identification as S. 436, and it should be on the screen in front of you. Okay, yes. And what is your question, you see, You see there where this report, based on the test that you administered and you scored, indicates the critical items should be reviewed to evaluate the possibility of malingering. 
I also just indicated to you a few times. See that? Yes I, or no? I see that. And in the, that same paragraph, does it say, regardless of the cause, in all capital letters, the test results potentially involve considerable distortion and are unlikely to be an accurate reflection of the respondent's objective clinical status. It the says following that. interpretation is provided only as an indication of the respondent's self-description. You agree with me that the PAI that you administered and scored gave you that indication? I agree with what you just read there, but I also agree with myself that Richard Rogers, who is a higher authority than the uh, computer printout, would argue that those scores were genuine. They were not an indication of feigning. And I and gave you the scores. that in your report? It's in my report. It says that, that I, there is that the critical items should be reviewed for the possibility no, of malingering? No, what it says in my report is that I used Richard Rogers' cut scores for it. Here's what Rogers did. Uh, doctor, okay. please just answer my right. question. I will. Thank you. Now, the PAI also gave a number of diagnostic possibilities, didn't it? Yes. Did it indicate the diagnostic possibility of delusional disorder? No. Did it indicate that malingering should be ruled out? It could be, given the fact that using the incorrect cut scores on here. This is a test you chose, correct? I, you, can, you chose to administer yes. the PAI to yes. the defendant. Let me let me make a comment to you. Doctor, could you I please just answer my question? I use this test, right? But I have to use my judgment, too. I have more knowledge that I try to use in terms of understanding it. So I looked at the cut scores by Richard Rogers. Richard Rogers is trying to reduce false positives. So he and his group took this test. They wanted to reduce false positives. False positive would be, say, someone is malingering when they're not. And actually, malingering is not a diagnosis, as you probably know. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After trying to undermine Dr. Hassan's opinion that Michael Barrison was not feigning psychosis, Prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn next tried to get the witness to admit that he was selective in what he included in his report and willfully omitted information that contradicted his assessment. You chose to administer the PAI to Michael Barrison, correct? Yes. You took the results and you put them into this particular program to score it. Correct? Yes. The program gave you a number of various information, clinical features, treatment considerations, possible diagnoses, correct? Yes. And you didn't include all of those things in your report. I would never include everything in the report. I would use my judgment on the report. The, the test gave two things. It gave validity scales and also gave clinical scales. The validity scales said that the test was accurate. And where the results of the PAI that you have in front of you as S46 didn't match your ultimate diagnosis, you didn't put anything in your, in your report about why you ignored that or why you distinguished it. I indicated that I'm not putting down malingering given the fact that there's no evidence of feigning on this test because I used 
more accurate cut scores. So where it says there's the possibility of malingering, you're saying that feigning is not indicated at all by this test. Correct. Doctor, you also uh, mentioned that you administered the 16 PF test. Yes. And I know you mentioned several of the factors. I don't think you mentioned factor L. What does factor L measure? Vigilance, high suspiciousness. Did Michael Verisone have an extremely high score on this scale? Yes. His scale, or his, his score rather, for this scale was at the top of the range. Yes. And a score like that would suggest problems with the projection of anger. Correct. It would suggest a preoccupation with power dynamics. Correct. And you'd agree with me that's not indicated in your report? Well, I interpret it differently than you. I didn't interpret it as power dynamics. I interpreted it as hypersuspiciousness. Doctor, I'm going to show you what's been marked as S443 for identification. This is the 16PF results from the test that you administered. And you just indicated that you wouldn't say that factor L deals with the preoccupation of power dynamics, but you'd agree with me that that's exactly what it says in the test results. It right? says it there. Now you mentioned, doctor, that you gave the SIRS 2, correct? Yes. Why did you pick the SIRS 2 as opposed to the SIRS 1? Well, the SIRS 2 is a better test in that it was developed to reduce false positives. So in other words, accusing someone of either malingering or feigning when they're not, it was an upgrade. Well, isn't it true that in the scientific community that there are concerns about whether the SIRS 2 accurately assesses feigning? I'm gonna to respond to you. That's a complete misstatement. Now, there were three studies that came out. They criticized the use of SIRS 2. Basically, the problem with those three studies, the design was poor. And what they used was a, a test called the Miller forensic test. The Miller forensic test is high on sensitivity. Remember I gave the example of going through a magnetometer? It goes off. The SIRS 2 is high on specificity. They used the wrong tests and the wrong design to criticize the SIRS 2. There was three of those studies that was answered by Rogers when he went over the uh, designs of those studies. So if authors published an article in a peer-reviewed scientific journal where they indicated that they had concerns about whether the SIRS 2 accurately measures whether someone's feigning or not, you would disagree with those authors and disagree with that scientific study? I would uh, agree with Rogers when he analyzed those studies and found that they were flawed. Those studies were seriously flawed. What they did was they used a screening test for uh, malingering or feigning, a screening test, and they compared it to his test. His test is not a screening test. His test is designed to have heightened specificity, not to have false positives. The other test on the other side, the Miller, was set up for high sensitivity to go off every time a person walked through that magnetometer. This test only goes off if someone walks through the magnetometer like with a gun in their pocket. Doctor, let me ask you some questions about the TOM. Is that an acronym for the test of memory malingering? Yes. And you indicated that you gave that test to Michael Verison. Yes, one of four tests. And you indicated that when you gave Michael Verison the test of memory malingering, that he had a poor score. He had a score of 41 on trial two and trial four. And I think you indicated that to the jury on direct examination that that score is poor. 
it's on yes a score under 45 is considered a problem with the exception of someone has some kind of like brain injury a tbi or something of that sort and you didn't note any issues like that with mr barrison well i did write after i considered that that he has some problem with visual memory and he has some problem with attention and i also mentioned that an odd finding was that on the vip which is a, a very superior test on the Nonverbal part, there was indication of any problems sustaining attention. So I hypothesized that there's a possibility that the 41 score was due to the fact of his uh, difficulty in different areas. Now, you just testified that a score under 45 is a problem. Yes. I think that was your exact words. And you indicated that Michael Barrison scored a 41 on the test of memory malingering, correct? Yes. That was on two of the trials, correct? Trial two and the recognition trial. His score on trial one was a 35. Yes. You didn't include that in your report. You don't, that's not, your, not how you analyze it. I didn't ask that question, doctor. You would never include that. Well, a score of 41 is actually indicative of someone who is likely malingering, correct? Possibly so, if they don't have any other difficulty that's maybe impacting the score. Judge, I'm gonna ask to show the witness. I have it on my computer, but because it was highlighted, I think it's uh, difficult to read. So this has been marked as S422. All right. And doctor, I apologize that this is uh, difficult to read here, but would you agree with me that it says any score lower than 45 on trial two or on the retention trial should raise concerns that the individual is not putting forth maximum effort and is likely malingering? Keep on reading. I can't read that. I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, doctor. Rather than using the score of 45, as a rigid cut, cut off, it should be viewed as a guideline. Yes. With the likelihood of malingering increasing as the score deviates further from the normative baseline for each specific diagnostic group. Okay. You didn't indicate that in your report, did you? No, what I indicated was he's had a score of 41 and 41, and I indicated possible reasons for the low score, and it's inconsistent with the high scores on the VIP. And you excluded the 35. I would never report 30, the first score. It's not part of the analysis. You give the first test, and you give the second, and you give the retention. Judge, I don't anticipate that I'm going to finish in the next 15 or 20 minutes. I can certainly keep going. Um, Want to keep going a little while longer since we don't have tomorrow morning. So you, you can keep going just, just for 10 minutes. <clears throat> you had been asked uh, questions about amnesia on direct examination. Yes. And you indicated that uh, you diagnosed the defendant with dissociative amnesia. Yes, localized. And I think you testified on direct examination that it could be dissociative amnesia. Yes, so I chose to diagnose that. When you were asked whether you were sure of that or cert made that rep uh, opinion within a reasonable degree of psychological certainty, is that the same as it could have been? Yes, more likely than not. Now, you agree with me that there's no memory disorder that's selective just for criminal behavior? I don't know what that means. Was there anything in the DSM that would indicate someone could have a memory disorder that's selective just for the time that they're doing something that's criminal? It's possible. I wouldn't rule out any of that, and I wouldn't use the word malingering, because if you're going to use the word malingering, you have to show a test that is positive for feigning. There's no test that I gave that show any feigning. So my question was, yes. is there any diagnosis in the DSM that deals with someone's memory being selective just for the time when they commit a crime? 
No. Now, you'd agree with me that the DSM also indicates that feigned amnesia is found more commonly in individuals with legal problems. Well, I think the reference is not, they, they say, they don't use feigned, they use malingering amnesia, right, as a V-code. The V-code in that book, uh, I think on page 715 or so, it basically states that in criminal situations you should suspect that there's malingering, but it doesn't prove that there's malingering in this case. Because it's not just a simple criminal act, it's the fact that it, he can't remember something that was incredibly stressful. And my question was, isn't it true that feigned amnesia is more commonly found in individuals with legal problems? I don't know that. I don't know any data on that. Is it true that feigned amnesia is more commonly found in individuals who wish to escape stressful situations? Um, dissociative amnesia often comes with people who are in stressful situations, but they don't call it, using a term that doesn't exist, you're saying feigned amnesia. The term that's in there is dissociative amnesia. That's an emotional type of amnesia. Judge, I'm going to refer to the DSM-5 again. This hasn't been marked. All right. And I'll mark it when we're done with court, Judge. Doctor, you just said that feigned amnesia isn't a term that's in the DSM? Not that I know of, with the diagnostic number. I'm going to direct your attention to page 298. You would agree with me? Okay, Ken that this page talks about dissociative amnesia. Yes. That's the diagnosis that you came up with for Michael Barrison. You would agree with me that there are a number of things listed after the criteria, diagnostic features? Correct. Associated features, risk and prognostic uh, factors? Yes. And if we get here to page 301, it says factitious disorder and malingering, correct? Correct. And you'd agree with me that the book says feigned amnesia is more common in individuals with legal problems, correct? Okay. Yes. It also says feigned amnesia is more common in individuals with a wish to escape stressful circumstances. Okay. Does it then go on, many individuals who malinger confess spontaneously or when confronted? Well, it's a strange article down because there's no specific diagnosis for feigned amnesia. It doesn't have a number. There's no number. Doctor, if you recall my question, it yes. wasn't whether or not there was a number or whether or not there was a specific diagnosis. I asked you if the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual indicates that feigned amnesia is more commonly found in individuals with legal problems. Possibly so, but that and you criteria... Told us that feigned that, amnesia does not appear that, in the DSM. When you look at malingered amnesia, it's wrong. I could show you the data 80% of the time. Now, I'm not saying... That, anyway, and doctor, I'm just asking you about your diagnosis. Yes. You diagnosed the defendant with dissociative amnesia. Dissociative amnesia localized. And you would agree with me that in the comments or the follow-up statements about dissociative amnesia, it talks about feigned amnesia. In that same paragraph, they use the word malingering and they use the word feigned. Those are two different concepts. I don't know if they made a mistake or what. The authors of the American Psychiatric Association made a mistake so, when they published the DSM-5? So, so look on page 715, I believe it's 715, for conditions V-codes. And on that page, it discusses malingering. And those diagnoses, malingering, are wrong 80% of the time. Now, you indicated, and you just read, rather, <coughs> that it's true that individuals <coughs> who malinger may confess spontaneously. Okay. You would agree with me at least that that's what we just read out of the American Psychi Psychiatric Association's DSM-5. Okay, yes. You would agree that Michael Barrison was overheard 
at the scene saying, I had a good life. Okay. You would agree that he was overheard in the ambulance saying, is this real? And I need to wake up. Yes. You'd agree that in the ambulance, he also said, someone drove down my driveway and said she was going to take my kids. Yes. You'd agree that the defendant was overheard later at the hospital saying, they destroyed my life in the last six months and they took it all away. Yes. Did you ask him what he meant by any of those statements? Yes. Did he tell you that he doesn't know? He doesn't know what they meant. He doesn't even know how his arm was broken. And you believe the, the timing and substance of those specific statements is vague? They're, they're not vague, but you have to have a context. Did, it was in, didn't you write in your vague. report that they were vague? Well, I, I asked him what they meant. I didn't know what they meant. I don't know if what he's referring to or those statements are referring to. It's not clear to me. Do you recall in the written statement that he wrote for Dr. Simring? where he indicated on a certain page that after the DCPMP worker got there and he was in his office, that he only remembered two or three things that were blurry at best. That's in his report, Dr. Simmons' report, but I, I didn't ask that what he remembered. I asked him the last thing he remembered. The defendant saying he remembered two or three things and it's blurry at best is in Dr. Simmering's report? I believe. I believe it's in Dr. Simring's report, but I, or it's in um, the the um, fifty-one, the ninety-one pages. But I didn't ask him on that. I asked him the last thing he remembered. So you didn't ask him what the two to three things were no. that he remembered after he was in his office after what, the DCP. What he said he remembered was a lightning bolts coursing through his body, feeling confused, had trouble breathing. It was like he was having a panic attack, and he didn't know where he was, what he was doing, and the next thing he remembered was waking up at the hospital. And then I said, well, what was the first thing you, what you recall when you were waking up? And he said to me, I asked for a priest, and then I asked if my children were safe. I had asked you the question earlier, doctor. But uh, are you going to a, dif a different area? Yes, Judge. All right, we'll break now. It's about uh, 20, uh, we went 10 minutes over. I don't want to go any further. You get the morning off, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to resume at uh, 1.30 or as close to 1.30 as we can. So please be here about around 1 o'clock or so, 1.15 at the latest. All right, thank you all. Please don't discuss the case. And with that, day eight of the trial of Michael Barrison comes to a close, and we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrison. Join us on our next installment as we conclude our look at the testimony of psychologist Dr. Charles Hassan. If you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and the trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. 
Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison.